And we wonder if our current situation is somehow an indicator of God's care for us. Am I not doing something right? The thing that I learned from it is that God never promised that we wouldn't experience the worst that the world has to offer. We absolutely will. But what He promised us is that we won't be alone when we do it. Yeah. Welcome to More Than Small Talk. We're Susie Eller, Jennifer Watson, and Holly Gerth, writers and real-life friends. We're inviting you to go deeper, become freer, and feel more connected. So imagine you have a cup of coffee, a mug of tea, or a green smoothie in your hand, and we're all hanging out in your favorite place together. Hey, More Than Small Talk friends, we have a special treat for you this week. Our dear friend, Lori Ann Wood, who we get to hang out with in real life, is here with us in the studio. Lori Ann lives in Northwest Arkansas, where we do. She is married to her husband. They met in ninth grade. I love that, oh. Lori Ann. <laughs> She's an empty nester and a grandma. And she discovered a serious heart condition almost too late. So she now writes to encourage others to explore their difficult faith questions along the detours of life. So I think all of us can relate to that, Lori Ann, that there are things in life that happen that we just don't see coming. So we are so excited to have you here to talk about your upcoming book, Divine Detour. Thank you for being with us. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, I I read your book, Lorianne, and one of the things that I was really intrigued by is that your heart doctor wrote the intro to your book. And one of the things that he said is that when you came into his care, that you were one of the most sick individuals he'd ever encountered. But my understanding is that you had no idea. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about when you came into his care and what happened? Yes. It, you know, it really knocked me for a loop. I did. I had no idea. Um, in fact, to kind of set this up on November 4th, this was seven years ago on November 4th, I had a medical evaluation and I was told that I had less than 3% chance of ever developing heart disease. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I, I, all my numbers were so good. I had low cholesterol, great blood pressure. I had no risk factors. I had no family history. And if you would have given me a list of things, here's all the things that are going to go wrong in your life. Heart failure would have been at the very, very, very bottom. Mm -hmm. No idea. and. Then three weeks after that medical evaluation, I almost died from heart failure from an unknown cause. Wow. Yeah, I, I felt like I had the flu, honestly. Um, it was the week of Thanksgiving and my kids were coming home. I still had kids at home, too. And I was doing all the things and I just didn't feel good. I felt fatigued. I felt like my chest was heavy. I thought maybe I had the flu or pneumonia. I finally went to see my family doctor on the Friday following Thanksgiving, and he took a chest x-ray. And as we're going into the x-ray room, I remember what he said, and I thought, these are going to be important words mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to look yeah. back on. He said, if we're lucky, it's pneumonia. 
And I remember looking at my husband thinking, that doesn't sound very lucky to me. Um, And and he immediately admitted me I had an enlarged heart. What my Cleveland Clinic doctor later said was the largest heart she'd ever seen. And it was functioning at 6%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So it was a it was a strange strange time because I didn't feel that sick, honestly. Yeah. And I really nothing happened for a long time. They kept me in the hospital for about 14 days in ICU and finally sent me home. And now I realized that they were thinking, we can't do anything for you. You know, you might live six months if you're lucky. You're in such bad shape. And I, I eventually went to the Cleveland Clinic by emergency flight and met my cardiologist there. And she was the same way. She didn't think she'd ever see me again. And they put me on extremely potent medication. And I wore an external defibrillator life vest for nine months. And I just didn't get any better. I just did not get any better. People were praying for me around the clock. I still have the framed prayer chains with Mm -hmm. all the people's names and nothing was happening. And then just out of the blue, 16 months to the day that I was diagnosed, I came down with appendicitis and no one would touch my appendix with my heart the way it was. And so they checked my heart again and it was functioning in the normal range. Okay. And, you know, I thought, wow, I thought that was the end of my story. I thought my story is one of healing and provision and the power of prayer. And I'm going to tell it and I'm going to live it. And it's, it's so great. And then three years ago, my heart function dropped and I was in active heart failure again. And I've been at that lower level for the past three years. And since then, I've learned a little bit more about heart failure. It is a chronic progressive disease, mm-hmm. and it really only goes in one direction. You yeah. know, you can think about a downward uh, line graph. Sometimes on that line graph, you have upward spikes, yeah. but the general direction is still down. And, you know, with all the advances in medical care, doctors can manage the symptoms for most people and they can slow the progression, but they can't cure it. And what I have now is an internal defibrillator uh, special device for heart failure that has three leads, and it really props my heart up and helps me to function. And so I'm just holding there at that lower level right now. Wow. I have a question for you because I know that there's so many women who like have struggled with their health and just thought that was normal. Mm. Do you think that your capacity that you felt like that you didn't know, but you really did like struggle, like struggle to breathe or get winded? Or did you see any of those things that you were like, oh, I just thought that was normal? Absolutely. Yes. I like to say that heart failure snuck up on me. And in a sense it did, but I can look back now and knowing what I know now I had subtle symptoms for at least 10 years. Um, I had shortness of breath. I didn't, I don't think I really understood what shortness of breath even was at the time. I had difficulty with inclines. I had an inability to exercise. I was gaining weight that I later found out was water that I was retaining. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. I was 
checked into the hospital initially with heart failure, they drained 14 pounds of fluid from my body that I had just thought, well, I'm packing on the pounds here. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the funny thing was another symptom of heart failure is a constant dry cough. And I kind of knew I coughed. I was exposed to a lot of secondhand smoke as a child, and I kind of passed it off as that. And when we sat down with our kids and said, you know, we don't know if this is hereditary yet. So we want to make sure that you understand the symptoms if you see them and that you're on top of it because it has a much better outcome if it's discovered early. And one of them was this constant dry cough. And my kids said, oh, mom, you've always done that. When we would lose you in a store, we would just wait for you to cough and we would find you. And I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. So Lori, we've talked about your journey with your physical heart, Mm. but we know in your book, you really talk about the journey with your spiritual heart that came about because of this. And you say that you ask three questions every life must answer. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what those questions are and what answers you started finding as you walked this unexpected path? Yes. As you said, the book is born of this diagnosis and illness and all of that, but it's not primarily about the medical events. It's really designed to be a guide to help people confront those three questions that I think every life answers because everyone is going to be detoured. And, you know, I, I liked, I liken it to when Jesus was detoured into the desert before his public ministry. We all get detoured into some place we don't want to be, whether it's, you know, loss of a child or bankruptcy or loss of a dream or divorce. Everyone feels that. And what I found through this journaling that I was doing, which was very reluctant journal, as a matter of fact, my husband suggested that I start writing down these events because we just found ourselves in this whirlwind of unbelievable circumstances. And I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to ever relive it. I didn't want to ever remember it. And at some point, I just started writing down these really angsty complaints to God and really kind of ugliness in this journal. And eventually, it softened and took a different turn. But when I looked back at that, I realized everything I was writing fell into kind of three categories. And turns out, those were the same three questions that Jesus faced when he was in the desert. And, you know, they, we always call those the temptations, which they were. But anytime we're faced with a temptation, there's a question in our mind. We're saying, is it worth it for me to do this? What's going on here? And you're weighing something. And so those three questions became the questions in my book. And You know, in Matthew 4, when it talks about Jesus going into the desert, the first thing the enemy said was, tell these stones to become bread. Mm -hmm. And a very hungry Jesus wrestled with the idea of, hmm, you think I should make these stones become bread? I think the life question that comes out of that is a question of worry. And the question is, is this life all there is? Mm -hmm. Because if this life is all there is, then eat that bread. You know, do what you want. Live for today. Don't plan for tomorrow. Don't plan for a future or eternity. Just just live it. And I wrestled with that. 
you know, I, I wanted to know if there was something more worthwhile for me to be doing with the time I had than just putting out these daily fires that always pop up. And where do I go from here? Because if this immediate life is all there is, it's going to change yeah. what I do with what I have left. Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> I think what I learned through examining that question was kind of a sad reality, but I learned that my faith really had me at the center of it. And, and I didn't like it, but that's what I learned. And, and, and in the book, I, I examine that through several different, the book is a book of essays and I look at it through different sub questions and different things that come up in your life. And so, you know, there are tons of questions about worry, but the second question, and, you know, going back to Matthew four, the enemy said, basically jump off this cliff yeah, and I bet God won't let you get hurt. Mm. And ain't, the angels won't even let your head strike a stone. And, and what Jesus heard and what we hear is that you're God's favorite. He's not going to let you be harmed. He's mm. not going to let you suffer for mm. long. You're one of his favorites. And so we wrestle with this question of doubt. Yeah. And we think, is God always good? Because this doesn't feel good. Yeah. And, and we wonder if our current situation is somehow an indicator of God's care for us. Am I not doing something right? What am I supposed to be learning from this? Yeah. And the thing that I learned from it is that God never promised that we wouldn't experience the worst that the world has to offer. We absolutely will. But what he promised us is that we won't be alone when we do it. Yeah. I think that's powerful. Like, I want to pause there for a moment because I'm sitting over here with tears <laughs> because that's where I've been. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there are women who are listening right now that will so identify with that, that in this detour in their life, that they will even have, I've had it. I've had people that have sent me messages that love me a lot and say, I don't understand why you're in your third year of hardship. Like, I don't get it, Susie. You do this or you do that or you are this. And I don't know. I, I remember sitting with my brother recently and somebody saying, why? Why are you going through this? And he said, why not me? Mm -hmm. Why not me? And he found in that last several months a relationship with God that was so precious and mm -hmm. so beautiful. And that was the distinct difference is that none of us were going through it alone. Mm -hmm. We were experiencing what every other person in that place that he was in, which was hospice, mm -hmm. was experiencing. But there was a peace mm -hmm. <laughs> that was tangible. Mm. So I, I just think that this is really important because I know that I know that somebody's listening right now and they're asking that exact same question is, why am I going through this? And God, are you still good? Mm -hmm. Powerful. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm so speechless just listening to you and really taking it in. Usually we'd like jump in and have all of these questions, but what would you say to the person listening that says, you know, 
why me? And, you know, what Susie just said, really wrestling with their doubt or thinking that they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. I feel like so many believers feel like in their wrestling moments that they don't feel safe to talk about Mm -hmm. because we get those easy quips or scriptures that kind of shut us down from like feeling things or struggling or wrestling through our questions and our doubts. What would you say to that person that's listening, wondering, what have I done? I think one thing that I learned through this is, you know, those 16 months initially when I didn't get any response from God, that was a period of silence. And I think sometimes we're in a situation that we don't understand and we just feel like God's shutting us out. And sometimes we give him the silent treatment right back. But I did. But (laughs) something I learned about prayer during that time is that the power of prayer and really the maybe even the purpose of prayer is not to get an immediate resolution, but it's to get an enduring relationship. Mm-hmm. And if if we get an answer immediately, we move on to the next thing. And we mm-hmm. don't get that lasting relationship. And you know, we all know I talked about heart failure going in one direction. We all know that we're all only going in one direction. And something my husband said that kind of honestly ticked me off a little bit when he said it, because I was in the hospital at the time, but he said, we're trading what we can't keep for something we can never lose. And what he was saying was, you know what? It's okay if you're not going to get well. It's okay if this goes the way that the doctors say it's going to go, because we're gaining something. And, and by not getting that answer, I started to understand those words. I mm. didn't understand them when he said them to me the first time. I wanted an immediate answer to that prayer, and I wanted it the way I wanted it, and I wanted it when I wanted it. Mm. And I thought I deserved it. But what I got was something that I'm never going to be able to lose. Yeah. And, and that was so much more precious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm kind of a skeptic by nature. Um, faith doesn't come really easily for me. It does for my husband, so it's really hard to live with him. <laughs> but I wrestle and I, you know, I think God had to kind of get me by the scruff of the neck and say, you know what, this is this is the way it is. I can relate, though, to those people who just pray and pray and pray and want something that they want because mm-hmm. I I adhere to that pit bull approach to prayer. I really mm. do. And I always have that you get a hold of something and you just pray it to death and you just never let it go. And I learned in there that there's a power in praying a prayer of relinquishment. And it's not the first prayer you pray and it's not a prayer you pray every day, but it might be the last prayer that you pray in a certain situation because you're saying, I don't understand this, God. I don't get what's going on. It doesn't make sense, this side, but I trust you and I'm going to lay this at your feet in light of your better vision and in light of your love for me that I know exists. And it kind of took, and Susie can relate to this, it kind of took my dad going through lung cancer. He died uh, recently from lung cancer. And he and I had, you know, had calls back and forth about, uh, 
you know, what this means and faith. And we both kind of struggled with faith um, throughout our illnesses. And at one point for me, God restored my heart function to normal at one point. And for dad, his cancer was in remission at one point. And so I knew he could do it again. I knew he could. And I got a hold of that prayer and I prayed hard for my dad. But there came a time when I knew it was time to stop praying for that. It was time to stop praying for healing and to give to God what he needed to write in this story. And by doing that, I wasn't praying desperate, pleading prayers at the end of dad's life. I was able to be at peace. And he was at peace. And that was what God wanted. And that's what my dad needed at that time. And so sometimes you do get to a point where you just have to stop praying for what you believe is God's best for you. Yeah. But I love that you call it divine detour because I don't know about you. When I come on a detour, I'm never happy. (laughs) Like if I see the sign that says detour and it's going to take me off of the well-worn, familiar path. I don't love that, but I also love that the divine part of that is that no matter what road that you're on, divinely, God is with you. Divinely, he's still leading you. Divinely, he's still present with you. And and there is such beauty and power in that. And I also may see something I wouldn't have on the other path, Yeah, you know, for sure. So what's the third question? We've made it through two. Yeah. So the third question was when Jesus was in the desert and the enemy said, look out at all that you can see. And if you bow down to me, then all of this can be yours. And so um, Jesus wrestled with a question of control at that point. And I think this is probably the most difficult question for me was control because I liked my life the way I liked my life. Oh, and don't we all? <laughs> and I felt like I was in the driver's seat for so long. And, you know, Jesus wrestled with, wow, this is a good option. This is a good opportunity I have here. You don't hear this every day. And that human part of Jesus probably wondered if God's plan was the best plan mm-hmm. because he knew there was some suffering ahead. And that mm-hmm. didn't sound really that great to him. So when we're on a desert detour, like Jesus was, we ask that question too. Where am I going? This just feels like a dead end. This is not what I planned. This is not what I thought you had promised. And it's, it's bumpy and it's taking longer and it's windy and out of the way. And I'd really rather not be here. And you know, what is the purpose? Did I buy into something I shouldn't have bought into here? And we wrestle with that, um, trying to figure out what the best plan is for our life. And part of that is examining it through prayer and scripture. And sometimes we can get a wrong idea, um, just conjuring it up in our own mind. This is the route I think my life will go. And when it doesn't, And one of the things that I ran into is, sadly, I was equating God's goodness with how well I thought my life was going at the time, Yeah, which is totally backwards, right? But 
I thought God is good if my life is lining up with my expectations. And I didn't realize it until I got on that detour and looked back and thought, wow, I was really misguided at the time. And while I'm on the detour, I'm actually on this route that's going to lead me to something more lasting, to a deeper faith. And I wouldn't have taken the detour on my own. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. I I think that it's really important that if you're in a a detour Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you didn't ask for, Mm -hmm. that reading Divine Detour could actually be a real encouragement to you. So, Lori, how do they find Divine Detour? I know it's in pre-order right now. And just so you know, the pre-order stage is one of the most critical stages for any author. It's what bumps it up in places like Amazon, and it helps others find it. So how can they find you? How can they find this book? So the book is available on my website. There's a a page, laurieannwood.com slash books, and all the links are there where you can order it at Amazon or from my publisher and Barnes and Noble and all the places. So Yeah. Well, we love you like crazy. Seven additional years of Precious Lori (laughs) that we've got to experience, and we're grateful for you. We're grateful that out of something that was so hard, here you are encouraging other women in such a powerful way. That is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a fun time. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks for going deeper, becoming freer, and connecting with us. More Than Small Talk is a part of the KLRC Podcast Network and is produced by Kara Culver. Show notes and resources are available on the More Than Small Talk page on klrc.com. You can also join us in our Facebook group. Subscribe to More Than Small Talk on your favorite app so you won't ever miss an episode.